Hello and welcome to Reading the Bible Cover to Cover in 365 Days. My name is Andrea Lendy, author of the book and Bible reader and studier for over a decade. And I'm excited to share some thoughts with you about today's reading. Welcome to day 85 of Reading the Bible Cover to Cover in 365 Days. Let us pray. Oh Lord, thank you for another day to read your word. Help us receive the message you desire for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's see what's happening in John chapter 17. Well, this is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. The whole chapter is Jesus' prayer to God before he is taken to the cross. First, he teaches us about how to pray. And second, he shows us he is our intercessor. In the very first verse, he prays for God to glorify him. He is actually praying God will put him on the cross. We see Jesus, the man, praying for God's will and leaning into it. Most of us run away from danger, but Jesus leaned into his final mission. He was brave and courageous. He prayed for his mission to be complete in verse 2, where he said, Now glorify him so that he may give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Again, he asks the Lord to put him on the cross so he can grant eternal life, a sacrifice beyond sacrifice, the sacrifice that replaced all sacrifices. He did this for you and for me. I encourage you to take time while reading this chapter and meditate on all the things Jesus prayed for here. He prays for his believers in verse 9, saying, I am praying for them. I am not praying, requesting for the world, but for those you have given me, for they belong to you. He prayed for all God's chosen ones to become one with them, just as he was one with God. Do we really understand what this means? Jesus walked in power here on earth because he was one with God. And now he prays that same oneness will be with those whom God chooses. He prays this prayer in front of them so they would know and experience his joy and his delight and his goodness in their hearts. He prayed for their sanctification in verse 17, where he says, sanctify them, purify, consecrate, separate them for yourself. Make them holy by truth. Your word is truth. Then the mic drop moment in verses 20 and 21, where he prays, neither for these alone do I pray. It is not for their sake only that I make this request, but also for all those who will ever come to believe in, trust in, cling to, rely on me through their word and teaching that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, so that the world may believe and be convinced that you have sent me. This, my friends, is for us. We were prayed for over 2,000 years ago by our Lord, the Messiah. This is a chapter to return to over and over again and step into the promises Jesus prayed for. Don't miss the beauty in verse 24. Well, let's see what Paul is writing about in Ephesians chapter 6. He starts out writing about honoring and obeying parents. He also instructs the fathers to not provoke their children, but instead gently lead them in the counsel of the Lord. And this is exactly how the Lord teaches and disciplines us, with a gentle spirit. In verse 10, he writes, In conclusion, be strong in the Lord. Be empowered through your union with him. Draw your strength from him, that strength which his boundless might provides. And then he writes some of his most notable words about putting on God's armor so we can successfully stand up against the enemy because we fight with more than that which we see. We fight against the enemy in the spiritual realm as well. In verse 13, he writes, Therefore, put on God's complete armor, that you may be able to resist and stand your ground on the day of evil, of danger, and having done all the crisis demands, to stand firmly in your place. 
the complete armor of God is the belt of truth, the breastplate of integrity, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the gospel of peace, and the shield of faith. Note that he tells us we have to put on these things. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. His desire is for us to be so full of anger, hurt, and pain that we are of no use to God. Paul tells us to put on shoes of peace in order to face the enemy. It is imperative we wear our shoes of peace to gain advantage over the enemy. Our faith is a shield that extinguishes the enemy's fiery missiles. We put on the helmet of salvation to cover our mind. The enemy wants our thoughts to derail us, but when we put on the helmet of salvation, we can turn our thoughts to God instead. Our sword is the word of God. We can and should wield the sword against the enemy. The more we read the word, the more it is written on our hearts. And the more it is written on our hearts, the more power we have against the enemy. Lastly, we are to walk in the truth and integrity. The enemy is a liar in every way. So when we walk in truth and integrity, we walk with God and leave the enemy behind. Yes, we put this on so we can stand strong against the enemy and the warfare he brings to our door. Lastly, Paul tells us to pray all the time, on every occasion. We see the power of Jesus' prayer in John 17 and begin to understand there truly is power in prayer. Let's see what's happening with the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 17. Moses instructs them about the one who worships other gods. Their plight would be being stoned to death. There were no ifs, ands, or buts about it. This act of worshiping another god had to have been corroborated by more than one person. And if it was, then the sin was to be put out. They were to be killed. If there was an issue that couldn't be resolved within the leaders of the tribe, they were to go to the Levitical priest and obey whatever he told them. And if they didn't, there was more stoning. God was very strong about the repercussions of not following the commandments and statutes he put forth to them. Lastly, Moses talked to them about a king. He knew they would eventually want a king to rule them, and we will see how that goes for them in the future books. What is interesting is that the king was to have his own set of commandments written on paper to be kept with him and to be read daily. Why? Well, verses 21 and 22 say that he may learn reverently to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and the statues and doing them, that his mind and heart may not be lifted up above his brethren, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left. Yes, even as we read more and more about our Almighty God, we learn to revere him more and more. We learn he is a holy God and to worship him. May we continue in his word day after day and learn to revere him as he desires. It's in chapter 18. Moses tells the Israelites that the Levitical priests have no inheritance except God. I still believe this is the best portion. He goes on to tell them what to bring for the priests as sacrifices and tithes and what the priests are due. They are to receive the first and best of everything. Moses then warns them again about abstaining from the abominable practices of other nations, the ones they will be overtaking and replacing in the promised land. These people had sacrificed their children by burning them in fire. The people were also to have no part in their sorcerers, mediums, or wizards. All of these things are an abomination to the Lord and is the reason he is driving them out of their land. God desires his people to be blameless. His plan was to give them a prophet, just like Moses. And Moses tells them to listen to him. He also tells them how to discern if the prophet is from God or not. Moses tells them that when they get to the new land, they are to set up three cities of refuge for the person who commits an accidental murder, that they may flee to that land. And then if they grow in people and land, they are to set up three additional cities for the same purpose. 
The guilty were to suffer their punishment, which was death. And Moses tells them to not have pity on that person. Seems a bit stiff, but the Lord had to keep the people holy. And this was one way he continued to reside with them. Psalm 85 was written by one of the sons of Korah and is a praise, a praise that God had delivered the people from Babylon, which had lasted 70 years. Verse 9 is underlined in my Bible and says, Surely his salvation is near to those who reverently and worshipfully fear him and is ready to be appropriated, that the manifest presence of God, his glory, may tabernacle and abide in our land. Well, we just read about how the Israelites were told they should reverently worship the Lord, and we see it here again. I believe we can take this for ourselves. We are blessed to have salvation offered to us. There are many lessons to be learned here in the Old Testament. So many parallels in the New Testament. God doesn't change. He is holy and he deserves our worship. Verse 10 is also underlined in my Bible and says, Mercy and loving kindness and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. What a beautiful way to write about the aspects of our Lord. He is merciful, loving, and kind. He is truth righteousness, and peace. If we are one with him, then we already have these things according to Jesus' prayer in John 17. May we continue to lean into the Lord and draw closer to him in every way. Let us pray. Oh Lord, thank you for the power in your word. Thank you for sending your son to save us and pray for us. May we receive his prayer today and know that you desire us to be one with you as Jesus is one with you. Sanctify our hearts, Lord, and help us continue to seek you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for walking this journey with me and being a faithful reader of God's word. I pray that he shows himself as the God who loves you deeply and cares about every detail in your life. Come back tomorrow for some more thoughts and insights as you read God's word.